Hey, it's stateside producer April Van Buren here. One of my favorite parts of working on this podcast is getting to hear unique stories from all across the state and hear from my new favorite Michigan artists and musicians, like our recent conversation with Detroit hip-hop artist Stoop Lee, which gave me a brand new on-repeat playlist that I can't stop listening to. We can bring you these conversations because of your support. Here's to another year of Stateside. Head to michiganradio.org donate to make your contribution today. And thanks. Okay, on to the show. One of the great joys of winter holidays is snuggling up with a nice hot beverage and a great book. Bonus points for me if there's also a cat on your lap, maybe a dog sprawling over your legs. Are you looking for some recommendations to keep you and your furry companions entertained during the cold winter weeks? Or maybe you're searching for a perfect last-minute holiday gift for your favorite reader. Either way, you're in luck today because we at Stateside have invited one of our favorite readers to help us all out. Keith Taylor is a poet and writer and retired University of Michigan professor. He's here to help walk us through his favorite books of 2023. This is Stateside. I'm April Bear. Keith, so good to have you back. It's great to see you. And you, April. I'm so glad that the first book that you brought us to talk about is Andy Mozina's Tandem, because I read enough of this book this year to know that I liked it, but I didn't get time to really sit with it. Would you introduce what he's doing for us? It's a, a fun book, and it's it's got a weird tone to it, because it's a, basically a murder book. Um, not not really a murder mystery, because you find out about the murder on page two. There's no mystery, yeah. <laughs> there's, no, there's no mystery. Um, but it's got this odd tone. I mean, the guy who commits the crime is such a complete narcissist, and he's trying to convince himself through the whole book that, okay, yes, I did this, and it's horrible, horrible, but I'm not going to tell anybody because I can make um, everybody feel good. And and um, so it, it, it has this kind of almost humorous undertone, certainly a dark humor, but but almost a humorous undertone, which is uh, which is a lot of fun. And it's, it's kind of absurd, and, and I liked it a lot. Um, Let's give people a taste of it. Okay, Would you mind sure. reading a little so bit? So this is, uh, I had to pick carefully because there's some language early on in this book that wouldn't float real well. A little salty. I, I don't want to get bleeped again on Michigan Public Radio. So this guy has, has committed a crime. He, he's a a uh, college professor going through a divorce and, and his life is miserable, drank a little too much, drove out from Kalamazoo to Sagatuck Dunes State Park at late at night, hits a young couple on a tandem bike and kills them both. Then he has to decide what to do and, of course, he runs away. So this is him sort of talking through this as he's driving back to Kalamazoo. He felt so horrible it didn't matter whether he got caught or made it home. If he got caught, he would gladly confess everything. He would accept full responsibility if necessary. This was just one of the bargains he made as he drove. Another was that he would be a much better person to everyone from now on, all the time. I will be very good, he said aloud. He would be more patient with his students, less argumentative with his colleagues. He would volunteer for things so other people wouldn't have to do them. He would never let his frustration show with anyone, as he sometimes had. 
Remember, this is a guy who just killed two people. Um, and one of the lovely things about this book is how meticulous he has to be, how he has to hide the car, how he has to replace the parts, drives down to northern Indiana to find the places in South Bend and Mishawaka where he can get the things to replace his car. Then he gives the car away to his kid who lives in Chicago. Um, the, the detail of all this. And it's you kind of get – you're looking at this detail and you realize, oh, this is this is genuinely absurd. So it's a really interesting – plays games with your mind. I mean, this is a horrible human being. Yeah. But yet, because we're from his point of view, we don't see him as a horrible human being. He doesn't see himself as a horrible human being. So, uh, you know, it plays with your mind that way. We'll be back with more book nerdery from Keith Taylor in just a minute. So sit tight and keep that Goodreads tab open. We'll be right back. Support for Stateside on Michigan Public comes from Michigan Engineering. Its Mobility at Michigan team is committed to reimagining transportation for a future that is safe, equitable, sustainable, and secure. Learn more at engin.umich.edu slash research. Support for Michigan Public's Stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. You also brought a book of essays, which I I really feel the essay is a wildly underappreciated form, and I appreciate that. Uh, this is these are essays by Jan Worth Nelson. That's my moon over Court Street. Will you tell us a little bit more? This is a um, this is an obscure book. You, if you want this book, you're going to have to work for it. It is on Amazon, but otherwise, I think you'd have to buy it in Flint. Oh, Totem Books. Uh, twist Song my Museum. arm, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm ready. Buckham Gallery, those kind of places have it. But but otherwise, you know, you probably have to go to Amazon. This is very much tied into an interesting uh, community journal in Flint called East Village Magazine, started in 1976 by a guy named Gary Custer. Um, he brought in Janworth Nelson pretty early on, 2000 and, well, 2007. 30 years in. And he sort of gave her carte blanche. You can, you can write about whatever you want. So she writes about books. She writes about her backyard. Uh, she writes about you know her neighbors. There's wonderful character sketches all the way through it. And then, of course, uh, then he died in 2015. Jan took over as editor uh, from 2015 to 2020. And, of course, we had the, the Flint water crisis. So that that became part of it. By the way, in that process, the great sort of uh, Michigan writer uh, Anna Clark did a piece on the East Village magazine for the Columbia Journalism Review. So, you know, I have a feature, you know, as a journalist, I have a feature in the Columbia Journalism Review is like, wow, how did that happen for a little thing produced locally by volunteers? And, you know, it's, it's real successful. So Jan wrote this column for a long time. And it appeared, you know, once a month anyway. And so this book um, has her columns from 2007 to 2022. When I was looking at it, I was going, oh, I got to tell everybody about even read from the one uh, about the water crisis. And it's uh, the title of the essay is Can the Water Be Made Holy Again? But as I was reading it aloud while I was thinking about it, it's like I got all choked up. So I can't read this on the radio. I'll get all choked up. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, some of the ones 
you know, other ones about food and things. You want to be, you want to yes, please. Let's, let's do just a passage about the food. Um, she writes a lot about food. She writes about herself. She writes about her divorce. She writes about her remarriage. She writes about choosing Flint over Southern California, which in itself is a pretty interesting story. But here's a little one just called The Sanctuary of Comfort Food that I can get through without breaking down. Uh, this is from June 2009. I'm sitting at a table in the basement of the Masonic Temple on a gusty, overcast Wednesday afternoon. In front of me, on a white linen tablecloth, on a white plate striped in green, is a moist square of pineapple upside-down cake. It's topped with a single circle of pineapple and a dollop of whipped cream. My fork hovers, poised for a taste test, but I pause to consider the moment. Then she goes on about the people who own it, um, a gentleman named Larry Lawrence Batiste. Uh, There's a footnote here, by the way, that the restaurant did not survive the pandemic, so... um, you know, there's that. Wow. Uh, but, but you know, just that joy in the moment of a pineapple upside down cake. Keith, this kind of writing used to be kind of a staple of our regional it, papers, and it's almost gone now. Yeah, well, the regional papers are gone, right? Yeah. You know, so, I mean, you get a little bit of it in, in public media like this. But, yeah, it has almost disappeared. And, and Jan's been lucky to have this little thing, and it's very well done. I mean, it's not professional, but it doesn't look hokey either. And, you know, to love Flint when people like Rachel Maddow are saying, is Flint, Michigan even habitable? Um, And you've got this very bright woman loving it, choosing it over over Los Angeles and, and, and willing to write about it. Also, you brought some poetry by Russell Brakefield. I did. Uh, this uh, made me do a double take. He lives in Denver now, right? He lives in Denver now. He's from West Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, did his college at, I think, Central Michigan and here at, at University of Michigan. Um, did an MFA here. This book is called My Modest Blindness. And um, he was, oh, in his early 20s when he was diagnosed with a particular kind of degenerative eye disease. And I'm, I had to write it down or I would forget it. Keratokinus. Which, which is a distortion of the corneas. It's a degenerative thing. It's, he's going to, you know, sooner or later get quite blind. So, of course, he, you know, young man in his early 20s, you know, in addition to being a writer and a reader and an English teacher, plays guitar and things like that. So he got pretty worried. So one of the first things he did was start writing down visual images that he thought in, in those early years of terror that he might not ever see again and might not remember. Wow. Um, so this is one of those that he just kept a catalog of them. And then some of them, they, they reoccur throughout this book in, in, in irregular ways. But this is, this is the first one he puts in. In the garden, a trio of purple heirloom tomatoes, their crowns ringed in neon green. A streak of dew hangs on each of their foreheads like sweat. The fine hair of their stems stands tall, pulsing with electricity of water, air, soil. A tag in the dirt tells me the varietal is indigo apple, though all year I've been calling them bruises or savory plums or skyline just before nightfall. Oh, Keith. Isn't that pretty? I mean, poets notice, but poets who are think they're going to lose their vision really right, notice. Right, right, That's exactly. incredible. Yeah, it's beautiful. And then he's got just this little, he would put these moments in, well, this is actually the bulk of the book, where he tells the story of his diagnosis and the progression of his blindness. In the examining room, Doc says progressive, but means degenerative. And I think of Homer 
wine-black waves like lashes against the bow, Odysseus's terrible tears when the blind bard recounts. Doc in his white coat carries storm clouds. My vision is a paper boat drifting slowly out to sea. Mm. So, I mean, it's a deeply moving book because here's this brilliant young man who's losing his sight. So. Can I put in a plug? Sure. I I read a lot of Michigan writers, but there was one that really stood out for me this year. There's a guy who taught at U of M Dearborn for a couple of years named Ghassan Zanadine, who pulled together a collection of short stories called Dearborn that just knocked my socks off. It was some of the funniest writing, but also some of the most piercing writing Great. that I've run across. My favorite is a story called Speedo Man that has to do with the reaction that a newcomer gets at a community pool. <laughs> I, I shudder to think of it. <laughs> it's everything from that to the, the story of a 100-year-old woman telling the story of her voyage on the Titanic. Mm. Who, who, and all these people, everybody in the book, they're all as different as that, and they all live in Dearborn, and that's, yeah, that's the threat. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, Beautiful. fascinating place. I've heard of the book, but I have not yet read it. So You can I'll have my copy. It. No, no, I'll get, I'll get my own copy. <laughs> okay. I, like, I like to buy books. Keith Taylor, thank you so much for coming back in and sharing your reads with us for this year. We appreciate it. And I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. And that's the Stateside Podcast for today. I'm April Bear. You can find full Stateside episodes at michiganradio.org, along with book interviews that we've conducted in 2023. Today's podcast was produced by April Van Buren. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Ronia Cabansag, and Mercedes Mejia. Our interns are Olivia Meradian and Laura Neong. Our podcast editor is Rachel Ishikawa, and our executive producer is Laura Weber Davis. Pod music comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you so much for listening, and happy reading. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Bye-bye. <laughs>